certainly have fears that there is a serial killer at loose in Perth. Sarah Spears, Jane Rimmer, Kira Glennon. And every time you saw a young girl walking by, you think, oh God, is she going to be the next victim? Now, one man stands accused. If police are right and Edwards is the Claremont serial killer, he's been hiding in plain sight for 20 years. When the bodies of Jane Rimmer and Kira Glennon were discovered, it confirmed what everybody feared. A serial killer was on the loose. Dozens of officers swooped in and media scrutiny was fever-pitched. Welcome to Day 19 of Claremont in Conversation. I'm Natalie Bongiolo in the studio with The West's Tim Clark and Channel 7's Alison Fan. And, guys, today we really got a snippet of just how intense things became with the discovery of Kira's body. Yeah, um, yeah, that's right, Nat. Um, mayhem was one word that was used. Um, organised chaos that I've written in the paper um, tomorrow, which is what it sounded like. It was organised, but it, there was a hell of a lot going on, a hell of a lot of people going on um, around both scenes. Um, as we discussed yesterday, we, we heard evidence about the discovery of Jane's body, and today we heard more... Uh, or, fresh evidence about the discover of discovery of Kira's body, which was obviously the third young woman that was missing. And the detective, uh, Charlie Carver, who was the first detective on the scene, was probably the, the most sort of animated and most sort of visceral in his evidence when he described um, how he first got there and wanted to confirm a it was a body b it was a female body and and uppermost in his mind of course there was the fact that kira had been missing for nearly three weeks and then it was a bit of professional um protection of himself because he told the court i wanted to make sure because i was just about to make the biggest call of my career to to, to that date in terms of ringing up the macro task force and saying i think i found kira glennon or i think i'm with the man who's found kira glennon and then he said, after after he had made that call, um, and basically half the world descended on this this sandy bit of Edmonton, north of Perth. Um, it, it, he described it as mayhem, um, and including in that included in that was the media presence which descended, um, including helicopters and and journalists basically, as he described it, trying to get close to the scene as he was trying to protect the scene forensically. And he also mentioned by name one of one of my colleagues and a, and a good friend of mine, Adrian Barrett, who now works for Channel 7 and, and the West, um, saying that, well, t- t- telling the court that his memory was that Adrian was actually arrested trying to get close to the uh, to the scene. So, uh, so there was obviously plenty going on then and plenty going on today. Well, and for those who are listening from interstate or overseas, so Adrian Barrich is a, a veteran sports journalist. He's a presenter with Seven News. And it just so happens we've actually got Adrian in the studio with us tonight. So, Adrian, can you tell us, I mean, were you arrested? Can you mm. tell us your recollections of that day? Yeah, I'm very surprised, actually, that I did get mentioned. But um, <laughs> it, I can remember it being a very sad and, and very dramatic time. Um, at that time, I was a kind of a rookie sports uh, journalist, I suppose you'd say. I'd just come out of the West Coast Eagles and a bit of rugby league and had just joined Channel 7. And I guess when the call went out and uh, the causes were the chief of staffs were trying to get people to the scene... I was nearby. I don't know if I was involved with West Coast Eagles training or there was something going on and I was close by. And so my cameraman got diverted and I was in the car with him. So I wasn't actually sent there. I just happened to be tagging along 
and um, uh, you were very eager. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess I was eager in terms of I was trying to be as helpful as I could at my new employer, Channel Seven. But um, and I guess when something like that happens. Like you said, whoever's closest, you're just mm. going there. It doesn't matter what field you're reporting from. And absolutely had no idea what the rules were, how what the protocols were, how it went and that sort of thing. I was just there with the cameraman, more or less under instruction from the veteran cameraman, actually, and uh, carrying the sticks, as they say, carrying the uh, the cameraman's sticks. that uh, Tripods. The tripods yes, and those yes, sort of things. Yeah. And I must have strayed into an area perhaps I wasn't supposed to or perhaps when we're going back to the car we took a shortcut. I can't exactly remember the circumstances but I do remember coming across several policemen and it might have been Mr Carver, I don't know, and being counselled about being in that area and please remove yourself as quickly as possible. I'm pretty certain I wasn't arrested though. Um, but you had some explaining to do? Yeah, just kind of moved on and I just said, boys, I, I, I don't know, we're just going back to the car, maybe we're in the wrong area. Every, everything was super dramatic, I can, I can remember that and don't worry, whatever I got told to do after that, I did it to <laughs> the nth degree and I, I got in the car and headed back to work but um, I had to tell the, the news director what it had gone on but I certainly wasn't arrested but uh, certainly asked to move on or, put, or our cameraman was and I was tagging along and I guess I've got a profile, so the guy probably recalls that I was there. Yeah. And Adrian, do you, um, you know, do you have a recollection of that day and when you did turn up and you got out of the car? Do you do you remember what that felt like and what you could see? Yeah, I wanted to be as far away as possible, mm. uh, but unfortunately, I got wrapped, uh, caught up in it, and I, I can only just feel for anybody related to anybody affected in this area must be so bad and so dramatic and so painful and I just feel for them so much because being six times removed I was just I could feel the pain and the sadness and the, the drama and the police that had to do the job the gentleman that had had, had just made the discovery um, the journalist senior journalist involved everyone was just rocked and um, as a rookie sports person, even though you know you're pretty naive, you can you pick those things up. And it was a, a really amazing time in Perth in terms of um, what was going on, and uh, a very sad time too. Yeah, and that sense of foreboding that you would have just being in the vicinity of of this. Ali, were you were you at work that day? I was, yes. And um, we it was such a shock because it it's really then everybody knew we are definitely looking for a serial killer that was probably the i mean you had the others but this certainly cemented that feeling and of course what's happening now is that um the the movements of all the police um and their activities on the discovery of those bodies are being scrutinized and and that is why barra's uh movements came up today because they're trying to or the defense are trying to find any discrepancies as far as um, cr- cross-contamination might have gone, What, how close did they get, they're being challenged on how close they got and so the police are under intensive scrutiny at the moment in this trial being grilled about every movement that they made that day and also with Jane Rimmer. Um, is there any chance that a journalist would be called? Um, only if he trampled on the scene mm. and he, uh, they would be asking everything from like how close did you get, what did you touch, did you touch anything, what clothing are you wearing because of course at the crux of this trial are the fibres and anybody that was wearing the blue fibre pants or polyester pants could be, the defence could be honing in on any discrepancy that they can find or anything that could suggest there's some sort of contamination to the crime scene and that's what the police are under extreme pressure to prove that they didn't go close and they're, they're being asked 
all the questions like just how close they're saying they never went closer than two meters at the, the at the narrowest and mainly six meters away and quite adamant that they didn't contaminate any scene but of course um, anybody else that was tromping over the area um, you know uh, would come under suspicion I guess in that way Adrian, have you always had um, uh, an interest in following this case, I guess, because you were one of those first reporters there on the scene? It, has it always stuck with you? You've always wondered and and thought, will this ever be solved? Or I suppose only in, in the sense of uh, most, like most people in Western Australia and Perth, it, it, and, and now that I've got children as well, you know, you look back and go, wow. And I live in Claremont, and I live close to Claremont, so it's all profoundly significant to me. And at the time it was as well, but I think Ali summed it up well, because that was the time when you sort of thought, oh, wow, there might, there might, might be mm. a serial killer. And that word started getting used. And... Um, but it was certainly cordoned off the area that I remember, and the, the police were extremely professional and... I was nowhere near anything that, w- that was going on, if you know what I mean. So, um, Did it feel like mayhem? I mean, I imagine the helicopter, I guess the Channel 7 helicopter well, the media was up, made the, it. all the media helicopters <laughs> media helped, have been yes. up. Yeah, make the mayhem, I think. Yeah, yeah I, I didn't witness a lot of it personally, but I guess that must have been what was going on. I was sort of on the fringe. I think I was sort of in the wrong, might have been in the wrong area completely, but they're just wondering why I was there, so... Uh, well, the first thing call the, to them. Yes, the first thing the police were saying is the, to cordon off. The cordon off the yeah. area, yeah, it was a big, big area that had been cordoned off. So, I wasn't trying to um, circumvent anything or get anywhere. I was just uh, carrying the carrying the tripod. <laughs> Were you a bit surprised when you found out today that your name had come up in court? Yeah, I was a bit surprised actually. Got a few text messages from Ali and Tim and from um, other media organisations and. The, the 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 policeman must have an extremely good memory, I suppose. Having played for the West Coast yes. Eagles and yes. uh, I think in the AFL, yeah, mm. he might have been an Eagles fan, but yeah, uh, they were they were very good about it all, and um, I was extremely apologetic on behalf of uh, myself and my cameraman. Well, thank you very much for coming in and um, having a chat and clearing that all up for us. And we'll let you get back to... Uh, Barra's actually got to get back to the newsroom and present the sport now. <laughs> so he's dashing out. Thank you for your time. To compose myself now. Yeah. <laughs> thank you for uh, inviting me in. I was glad to uh, clarify that as well. Thanks, Barra. Okay, see you guys. Well, as Alison just mentioned, there there is a sense that they're clearly focusing on the credibility of the of the prosecution's you know key forensic evidence um, today. Yeah, so they're basically, the defence are basically trying to poke holes in the continuity of of everything, really. Um, and where we're at at the moment, obviously, is the discoveries of the bodies and the arrival of the police at those two scenes. And so every witness, every police witness has basically been asked so far, how close did he get? Did he touch anything? What were you wearing? What were you driving? Or what, what, what vehicle did you drive to get to the scene? Obviously, all pointing to the to the same thing, i.e., were you or could you have been in a position to touch the body and therefore possibly leave any fibre evidence behind, particularly the fibres with Jane, and we, we know there's, there's DNA to come with with Kira. Um, it's, so that's where all the defence questioning has has been uh, leading to over the last couple of days. The prosecution side. For all the police, they're basically just setting the scene, um, literally setting the crime scene in, in terms of what they saw, what they found and what they did once they got there. Um, and touching on something that you'd ask 
um, barrer about whether a journalist could actually be called. Uh, only you'd think only if, as a as a, a, a witness, I meant only you think if they were mentioned in in the, the police running sheet, which was is. It's a basic, but still quite a detailed log of of everything that's occurring on on at the crime scene, and we've already been through the the running sheet that pertains to um, to Jane Rimmer's um, body and what exactly was going on around there. There was no mention of any anything untoward um, in terms of members of the public or members of members of the media, um, and we'll surely we'll go into more detail um, regarding. Kira's um, body in the crime scene around there um, in in the days to come. And what, what about sorry, Ali? But what about the um, the police? You know, was there a sense that any of them hadn't followed the best protocols or had got too close when they shouldn't have, or had walked in places they shouldn't have? Did that sort of there was there a sense of that today? None whatsoever. They were quite adamant that they mm. stuck strictly to the uh, crime scene procedures. They said that they had uh, had enough experience to know that you do not contaminate, you don't go any closer, you don't touch anything. And they, they varied from getting as close as maybe two metres um, up, but mostly around six metres. And, of course, the um, coroner's funeral staff were also questioned about their what they whether they could have transferred any contamination and they said no they were they wear cover up overalls covering their hands gloves hair boots the full cover up so that no contamination can take place and um, it's been a very very thorough and intensive grilling of all of these people today both today mm. and yesterday yeah uh, and, and and you've got to say Ali, they they've been quite so far they've been quite impressive witnesses um, particularly um, former detective carver this afternoon who now runs a very senior um, crime investigation unit up in Queensland, but he was already a very senior detective at that time and became even more senior. I mean, he was absolutely adamant. I mean, that, that was the, the basic thread that ran through his whole evidence was as soon as I got there and realised what we were dealing with, my job was to get out of there as soon as I could and then keep everyone else out of there yes. until until the, the, the proper person's forensic... Uh, persons, you know, with the coveralls and, and all the anti-contamination um, methods that they would use got there and, and, and could do what they needed to do. So as, as hard as the defence has been trying over the last couple of days, they haven't really landed a punch in terms of uh, forensic um, sort of contamination. But um, one of the detectives this morning, Detective Adams, who we mentioned or previewed last night, might might be the witness, and he was, who was in charge of the scene at um, at, at, at Wellard, where Miss Rimmel was found. He was asked a series of other questions today about another role that he played, in, uh, ironically, in the investigation a little bit down the track with, re- with uh, regards to some evidence that had come from the Karakata rape scene. And that, he was a little less uh, less solid on that you that's would say, right Ali. yeah yes he was well he had two hats he'd moved from the um, the other uh, business to being in charge of sexual assault and that's how he came uh, in contact with the Karakata rape victims um, evidence and there were a few discrepancies there one over whether a bag containing a black skirt uh, was in fact black shorts um, and the dates, there were some discrepancies in the recording. There's a time lag which the defence honed in on. But um, that was about it, wasn't it, I think? 
Yeah, there was so there was some conjecture about firstly how that very crucial piece of evidence was labelled. Um, just backtracking a bit, so these were the shorts that were left behind by the Karakata victim and the prosecution in in the in the murder trials or murder um, allegations say that there are one of these critical blue fibres said to come from the Telstra workwear. One of these fibres was found on the shorts when it was re-examined many years after the rape, which links that scene to Miss Rimmer and Miss Glennon and, crucially, Mr Edwards's car. Um, so that's why that, that this piece of evidence is so important. And the way it was tagged and bagged came under some scrutiny today because as Ali mentioned there was it, there was some it was labeled um, a skirt when it was actually shorts um, and then who um, had this bag with this evidence in became even more crucial because they went through the various um, um, people and times that this evidence had been taken out of the secure storage facility that WA police had and there was an eight-month gap, basically, um, where it was unsure where this bag actually was or where, where it was stored. Hmm. The, um, the detective Adams was adamant, um, if you pardon the pun, that he, he still had it under his custody, under lock and key. But the, um, the actual box had not been ticked as to in the computer system w police wa police utilized to pinpoint all their evidence the box had not actually been ticked as to where it had been dropped off um before it was taken out again so it was actually the judge that first judge stephen hall who pointed out this gap in the timeline that the um, computer had printed out as to where this evidence was um, and he was very interested into it as to where it might have been, and whether it was still secure, whether it was still under De Detective Adams' custody, and why that box hadn't been ticked or, or, or that process gone through as to sign it in and sign it out, and that's the, that's the tenet of of a lot of the evidence to come that we understand is is continuity, where it was, who handled it, and who and, and whether there was any possible way. Um, the, the fibres and particularly the DNA um, could have got um, on it from another source other than Mr Edwards. Yeah, because I mean, that's what yeah, that's what the spotlight's on now. Um, on the handling, the recording, the storage, the delivery, all of that of all of this vital evidence. That's what they're really scrutinising now, and that's what, I, as Tim was saying, we'll be looking at for the yeah. next probably weeks. Well, it's months. a very fair question because, mm. you know, you have this vital evidence and, and really nobody can actually say where it was for this uh, period of time and who could have had, had access to it and what could have happened to it. Tim, I'm just curious, um, with these shorts, mm. so did they describe how they were kept? Is it in some sort of a Ziploc bag or is it a sealed bag that nobody could access? Yeah, well, it's quite old school, actually, Nat. It's a brown paper bag. Yes, um, that it was just folded over at the top, mm. according to um, Detective Adams. It wasn't stapled or sealed, or it wasn't. It's not like uh, no, it was just unbelievable, sort of, um, wasn't it? Yeah, your, um, your uh, well, the red you know, prime of... suspect or right um, you know mm. silent witness type thing where you see these 
elaborate Ziploc plastic bags that can't be, you know, Tampered can't with. be opened without breaking a seal. In this case, back in 90, well, it was originally, obviously, 95 was the rape when the uh, evidence was first seized. It was just placed in a, in a plain brown paper bag, which had been written on in some sort of texture. That's um, right. And then yeah. another couple of labels had been affixed to it at, late, at later stages. Um, and and that, that, was, that was all it was. Um, uh, and then all these individual bags were apparently kept in the same box to keep all the evidence from the same case together. And then these were all stored together, um, hopefully and, and presumably, and, and, and for what Detective Adams said, definitely behind um, a, a lock and key that and there was, it was just him and one other staff member, police staff member, had access to. Well, the defence lawyer, Genevieve Cleary, certainly didn't want to let that one go in a hurry. She produced all these documents, one after the other, that showed no mention of skirt. One mm. after the mm. other. No skirt, no skirt, no skirt, no skirt. Why is this got, um, you know written on in a red sort of as a texture across four across a brown paper bag um a skirt when it should have been short so but did we hear earlier from memory um about an officer who said uh when they realized it was shorts and not a skirt that they changed the label i didn't hear that Yes, there was some mention of was that there? way back, oh. way back uh, in very in the very early dispatches um and to be fair to the prosecution when they re-examined um, Detective Adams, because the way it works in Australian courts is this evidence in chief, so the prosecution asks their questions first, then there's a cross-examination, and then right before the witness is released, the prosecution get to have another go. They asked, um, uh, the one of the prosecution lawyers asked or pointed to uh, a, a yellow sticker that was affixed to the, what this plastic, uh, this paper bag, which it would appear, well, it was the, the letters O, R, T and S were visible on this um, yellow label, which you, you could assume might um, uh, fill out to be short. Originally, um, yeah. Yeah, mm. um, which, would, which would appear then, again, to have been a label that fixed the labelling, if you, if you see what I mean. Um, so, yeah, and all this tiny little detail... Uh, it it will be quite um, tiresome and exacting to go through, but it's obviously very, very important to go through, particularly for the defence, but, I mean, probably even more so for the prosecution because they've got to prove the case. Um, and they and any of these little doubts that are thrown up um, in front of the judge um, or pointed out to the judge, um, the prosecution are going to have to work very hard to, if there are any of these little discrepancies in labelling and where the boxes were and where the bags were and who touched them, it's going to be very important that the, the prosecution be able to um, to iron out any of those creases if they want to um, if they want to, to to prove the charges that they brought. Yesterday, um, the court was played video from um, Jane Rimmer's site. Uh, was there any further video played today and, and did you get to see any video? We don't get to see anything like that of the actual burial site. That's screened off completely. Yep. Um, in fact, we're in the dark most of the time because even when the witnesses are being asked, they're saying, well, is that 
in the left-hand corner of that photograph is that somebody's foot or somebody's shoe, so mm-hmm. we don't really know what um, they're describing. And in some way, um, we're quite relieved at not having mm-hmm. to witness these very, very distressing scenes um, of the actual bodies. Yes, there was more footage shown of this site of, of Kira's um, discovery. Um, was shown to Detective Carver this afternoon um, because he was... Uh, attempting to describe exactly where he found the body, um, which way he approached the body, because he said that he even took the precaution of not stepping on the established little um, gravel path that was there in the bush um, for fear of maybe um, eliminating any footsteps or shoe prints that might have been there. So when he was approaching the body, they actually took the deliberate path away from the path and, and used the scrub and so um, the, uh, particularly Mr. Jovich, the defence lawyer, was trying to pinpoint exactly the direction that he'd come through. And in doing so, he played the video of that scene um, to the witness and, and he described the, 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 or attempted to describe the direction that he came from. But as Ali said, and we, we detailed last night, we won't get to see any of that footage mm-hmm. and um, that footage will now never be seen in public unless there's some horrendous um, security breach of, of you know police um, evidence or court evidence um, that 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 material will never see the light of day because the, the, the judges ruled that that it's it's too distressing for the families um, to be to see and it's and there's basically too big a risk to, to show it to the general public than to the media um, that it might um, it might get into the wrong hands I guess mm-hmm. so no, it, 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 um, we will be having a lot of these discussions in the weeks and months to come as well because there will be a lot of the material um, that will be shown to various witnesses which they need to see and the judge needs to see, but he's, he's decided that we don't. Uh, could you hear anything? Could hear, the video? Oh, yes, what, you could hear the audio. What could you hear today? Oh, quite descriptive um, passages of uh, him describing smell oh, okay um and and things like that you could hear the audio quite clearly yeah and then on the um the piece of footage from kira's scene um it, it sounded to me like a typical windy um remote sort of west australian bush um scene and you could also quite clearly hear the helicopters overhead now whether they were police helicopters or media helicopters both were in the area at the time um, you, you could quite clearly hear that in the background. And uh, we're going to be straining our ears, I suppose, to, to, to try and gain any sort of um, illustration of what, of what we can um, from this footage when it is, when it is played um, over, over the next sort of weeks and months to come. We actually have a question here from Cassidy, which you sort of have answered, but I'll I'll just read it out anyway. I'm wondering whether all of the evidence, including video footage, which we know will never be released, but some of the photos and verbal phone calls, documents presented during this trial will ever be seen by the public. People from the public who are able to attend the trial in person, I'm presuming they will have seen some of the evidence presented in the days that they attend. I'm aware the judge has only released certain parts of the evidence for release to the public at this stage. However, once the trial has ended, will the public get to see anything else? No, they won't get to see what um, he has stopped 
uh, just recently. Of course, there are other exhibits that we have not been able to show that people in the public gallery um, have seen on the screens there, but this the actual body um, evidence uh, and filming that has been ruled out and that will never be revealed. But that's not unusual in, in trials of past. And Tim, we were talking about this earlier about before there were screens, anything that was gruesome or sensitive, a judge would just simply close the court because it would mm. only be a short time. Whereas this trial is such a lengthy and mm. because this is so concentrated on this particular evidence, uh, they decided it was just too, too disruptive to close the court here and then open it there and close it there. And so they've just gone down this route. But even if we did, um, were allowed to see it, we wouldn't be able to show that on television. No. We could not show that, that sort of vision. We, we never have. No. Yeah, I think that's... Well, Ali's made a sort of really good point there. Uh, there's a sort of a, a conception, maybe a misconception, that the judges um, each... Um, follow exacting rules and and they all do the same thing but that's that's actually not the case particularly in in western australia there's um, you know more than a dozen supreme court judges and they all have their own sort of way of working because it is their court and they get to run it within you know various boundaries as they see fit so in the past i've known some judges and judge alone trials have displayed very graphic um pictures on big screens um the one case in particular um the case a case here of a, a guy called mervyn bell who who horrifically murdered a, a young child um his de facto child actually during that trial which was a judge alone trial that there, there was very graphic um, pictures of the of the body of that young child um, depicted and shown in in open court but other judges decide, um, well, we'll only deal with it on a on a printed basis. So you'll only get maybe um, actual physical printouts of photographs, which are then shown to witnesses. So they're not so the witnesses get to see them, but they don't get to be seen in open court. And other judges uh, have take the measures that Justice Hall has done this week and, and and decide that nothing needs to be seen by anyone other than than who needs to see it. But to go, to go back to the answer, there's basically going to be three levels of evidence. There's the, the evidence that will be um, only seen by the witnesses, which we've discussed, which is basically the sensitive material. There's the evidence that will be, has been and will be shown in court, which will be open to view by those in court, but then won't be released to public for public consumption by Justice Hall. And then there's the stuff that we as media have applied for and Justice Hall has ruled can be um, uh, released to the public. So, And that is the only uh, material that basically will be... Um, uh, will, uh, will be allowed to leave the courtroom is, is the material photographs and possibly video um, that Justice Hall um, rules is, is, is relevant enough that um, it needs to be seen um, beyond the four walls. And if listeners would like to see those exhibits that have been released to the media, you can always find those at thewest.com.au. So if you'd like to go into there, you can find those things that have been released. Well, is there any idea of what you have in store tomorrow? No, we don't know. I mean, we didn't know yesterday that it was going to be dominated <laughs> by by them all being sent out to get screens. But um, I should imagine we're still going through um, the actual 
possibility of contamination. So that'll still be very, very intensive with anybody that was near the scene. And it was a big team mm. of detectives and support staff, uh, coronary people, everybody that um, uh, was involved will be questioned, no doubt. Yeah, we, we think we think it'll probably be more witnesses to do with, with Jane's crime scene tomorrow and that. Mm-hmm. Um, we did divert onto uh, onto the one officer or the first officer at Kiwi's scene today. I think that he was uh, on a video link from Queensland um, over the other side of Australia. And we believe that might have been to do with some availability of the link and availability of the officer because he is quite a senior um, officer over there now. Um, so we think we we jump back now into to, to more detectives that that were um, were at Jane's um, the, the the scene of Jane's body and 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 what they did um, and what they saw. And I guess you're expecting so many of these people to be called as witnesses because you know as we've heard you had something like you know twenty officers and and people descending on these scenes in a matter of hours. So all of those yeah. people would be called, right? Yeah, yeah, vast amount of police resources have gone into this case, and, and, and we just got a snapshot of that yesterday with the the amount and the breadth of detectives that that turned up within hours of Jane's being discovered. And we've heard from some already, um, and, and then we and then we haven't even got to the, all the forensic um, uh, staff members and and um, uh, experts that were also called upon and work you know will be called upon again now to to recall. Um, what they were asked to do in terms of pathology and um, dentistry to identify the bodies and and then in in particular after the post mortem was over the 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 storage of of particular items um, both physical um, uh, in terms of physical body parts and also clothing and and, and the like um, I mean that's the you know the, the that's probably going to pale in. We're going to think the police were were shorthanded when we actually get to all the forensic people that have been involved in both these investigations, all three of these investigations, for so many years. Very procedural stuff, but it's still attracting a very big crowd. The courtroom is packed. Yeah, yeah. It and, is extraordinary. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, and, um, and the listenership to the podcast, I've got to say as well, is proving that um, this... Very high interest uh, yeah. of, of of interest, not only in Perth and Australia, but um, but around the world as well. Yeah. yeah, there are a million of you who have downloaded this podcast so far, which is extraordinary. But as we keep saying about this particular trial, there is nothing ordinary about it. Thank you both. Um, uh, you can see Alison's news reports every night on Seven News, and you can get a very comprehensive coverage of Tim's reports in the West Australian each day. So, if you'd like more information, make sure you go to both of those two sources. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back tomorrow with day twenty of Claremont in Conversation. This podcast was hosted by Natalie Bonjolo, produced by Kate Ryan and Alicia Preedy, and recorded in the studios of Seven West Media. Audio files were provided from the archives of the Seven Network and the West Australian. Sign up for daily emails and all the latest on the Claremont trial at thewest.com.au. Enjoying this podcast? If the story behind the headline matters to you, then you can count on thewest.com.au to deliver. For more on Claremont the trial, follow the live blog, watch the nightly news updates, and sign up for daily email updates at thewest.com.au. Subscribe now for just a dollar a day at thewest.com.au.